Guys, we're in the middle of one of the most amazing, incredible chapters in Tanya. And we're going to have to get into our space again where we're going to feel this incredible joy of Torah study. There really is nothing like Torah study. Absolutely nothing like Torah study. You know, the Romans didn't allow the Jewish people to study Torah. They made a decree that if the Jews study Torah, they're going to be killed. And Rabbi Akiva ignored them, and he used to gather people, and he used to study Torah with them. In fact, the Romans did kill him. And Papas, the son of Judah, said to Rabbi Akiva, aren't you afraid to teach Torah? They made this law that if someone studies Torah or teaches Torah, they're going to be killed. And he said, I will answer you with a parable. A fox came, went along the river, and he sees that in the river, the fish are suddenly in a flurry. They're going back and forth and back and forth. And he said, what's going on? And the fish said, we're afraid of the humans fishing net. And he said, oh, fish, don't be afraid. Come out on the shore with me. We'll live together like our ancestors have lived in the past. And the fish said, really, are you the fox that they call the wisest of all the animals? You're not wise, you're foolish. If in our own environment of life we're afraid, how much more so in our environment of death? And about the Torah, it is said, They are our our life and the length of our days. To abandon Torah studies, to put ourselves into a space, God forbid, of death. It would be silly of us just because the Romans said, okay, so now we have to be, you know, take precautions, the Romans don't catch us. But to abandon Torah means to abandon our life. Hi! And um, the Torah says, I mean, the Talmud teaches us that when a person comes to the next world, they are, they are asked if they study Torah, and then people will have come with different complaints. And one, somebody, it says that Hillel obligates the poor, and Rabbi Elazar ben Chesm, I think it is, no, Rabbi Elazar Kharsam, I'm sorry, um, obligates the rich. What was the story of Hillel? Hillel was so poor that he, he couldn't even afford to enter the base medrash. He, they used to have to play a half tarpik in order to enter the base medrash, and he used to earn one tarpik every day, and sometimes, and he would split the tarpik, half for his family and half to go into, a half to go enter the base medrash of Shmaya and Avitalian. And, and one time he wasn't able to uh, enter the base medrash because he didn't have the money he needed to get inside to pay the security guard. And so what he did was he climbed the, to the skylight and listened like that. No. The next morning they came inside and it was dark and they were like, why is it dark? And he, it was snowing and he got snowed in. Oh no. It was Shabbos. So they took him down and they you know, had to desecrate the Shabbos in order to save his life. And then they said, no, no, let's not charge him anymore. But the Talmud says that if somebody says they were too poor to study Torah, they're going to say, well, were you more poor than Hillel, who found the time to study Torah? Now, what do you mean he obligates the poor? There's a law. There's a certain amount. If a person doesn't have time to study, there's a certain amount they have to study every day. A halacha in the morning, a halacha at night. So what, what does it help to bring proof from Hillel, who, who was so poor? Either you were obligated or you weren't obligated. What does it have to do? What does it have to do with Hillel? So in order to answer this question, I'm going to tell you a story that I heard repeated in the name of the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya. It is told that a chassid was very busy with his work, that he had very little time to study. And he asked advice from the Rebbe. He said, 
I don't know, I have so little time to study. What should I study during that time? Should I restrict myself to study the very, very basics, whatever I need to study, you know, the Tanakh and the Mishnah and the Talmud? Or should I also make time to study Kabbalah and Hasidus, the secrets of the Torah? And the Alter Rebbe said to him, make sure you make time as well as the basics to also study Hasidus. And he was puzzled. With such a little amount of time, he should really do what's obligatory instead of adds, adding also Hasidus inside. And he said to him, when you study Hasidus, you will suddenly find the time to study more Torah. Because that's the th point with Hillel. Hillel was so poor. He, uh, from a legal point of view, as much as he studied, he didn't have to study. But because it was so important to him, somehow he found the time. You heard the expression, where there's a will, there's a way. If not, there's an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, when you realize what Torah study is, then you find the way to study Torah. So in this chapter, we really feel the joy of studying Torah. There's really nothing like it. There's no experience like this anywhere. Not in the upper world. There's no experience like this. And you know, a person, like a lot of times people live their life the whole time and they're thinking, I'm doing this so I can get a reward in Olam Haba, the world to come. You don't get it. When a person speaks that way, they're missing something so essential. They forget that the point of it all is right here and right now. The connection that a person can forge with Hashem is right here in this world. In fact, there's a story of a little boy who went by the Rebbe and he asked the Rebbe, do Jews believe in reincarnation? And the Rebbe <coughs> said, yes, but don't wait until then. <laughs> you know, it's like, ah. So we're not getting We're absolutely getting brownie points, but don't forget that what we experience right here in this world is incredible. What we accomplish in this world I'm sorry, everybody. We have to stop and wish Mazel Tov to Zizi on her new baby. Oh. Last, wow. week, last week she Mazel was here tov. pregnant. Do you remember? Last week she was here expecting. Hello. Are you Superwoman. How are you all? Zizi, I'm sorry to call so much attention to you, but we said when there's a will, there's a way. Zizi wow. always finds the time to study. Zizi always finds the time to study because it's a priority to her. And so. The Everybody has far this. from the tree. Uh, right, the apple I know her mother. You know her mother. And her grandfather, I, I, I don't want to call too much attention, but her grandfather made sure to always teach. Her, Rabbi Gordon is her uncle. Oh. Rabbi Gordon, you know, ever listen to Rabbi Gordon's theorem? That's Cece's uncle. And her grandfather used to teach Tanya classes, like literally with Masira Snefesh. And so you could see it in his grandchildren. I'm sorry to give you so much attention, Cece. And anybody who wants to see the baby has to stand 10 feet away because she's very new. Okay. So I got distracted. Where were we up to? Um, oh, that's right. We said, don't wait until then. The Rebbe said, yes, Jews believe in reincarnation, but don't wait until then. And actually, you know, somebody once speaking to me, she went to some spiritual person who was telling her about her past life and she was trying to reconcile her past life with her. Forget about all of that. Okay, we've been here before, but right now focus on the life you have right here. I heard it quoted in the name of 
I forgot his first name. Remember that um, Israeli, American Israeli journalist who was captured by in Syria by ISIS? Pearl. Um, no, not Pearl. His last name is Satloff, but I forgot his first name. <coughs> anyway, he was unfortunately beheaded by ISIS. Oh, but wow. he yes, but he wrote um, a will to his family that was smuggled out by his cellmate, and he wrote like this. He said, "Every person has two lives: <coughs> the one that they're born with, and the one they start living when they realize they have only one life to live." Mm. So we have to remember it's all here, right here, and right now. And the connection that we can forge with Hashem through Torah study in this world is incredible, and this experience doesn't exist in any other world. What is experienced in the other world is the pleasure of it. But the actual experience and the union happens only right here and right now. So we're so lucky that we get to make the most of it. So we started off with uh, explaining the experience of the mitzvah in this chapter. And we said that a mitzvah expresses Hashem's will as a body expresses the soul. <coughs> and then in contrast, we started to speak about Torah study. And we said that Torah study is more than the union of body and soul. Union of body and soul is so unique that the body doesn't have an identity of its own. The body expresses the soul. But nevertheless, there's body and there's soul. They're not one and the same. However, when a person studies Torah, the union that happens with a person's divine soul and its garments of thought and speech is so complete. It is a true fusion with Hashem himself. Do you have one? <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so we are up to page four. No. Oh, sure, of course. No, I don't think we're up to page four. Who else needs a copy? I'm sorry, I've been so... Who else doesn't have one? Baruch Hashem, we have plenty. Okay. How did I not send you one? I'm sorry to see after making that whole commotion and calling all that undue attention. <laughs> or not undue, but unwanted. I'm sorry. We're actually not on page four. We're on page five. Yes, we're on page five. We just got up to the three dots in the middle of page five. We were saying that there's the difference between... Um, Torah, mitzvah performance and Torah study. Because mitzvah performance, during mitzvah performance, remember what happened? The, the animal soul and the divine soul's faculty of action became like organs of the body that expressed the soul. And furthermore, the physical organs of the body become like a chariot to the divine will during the performance of a mitzvah. And during our last class, somebody asked the question of what happens to the actual speech that a person utters while they speak the words of Torah. Okay, because then we got as far as to say that the brain and the mouth with it, which express the Torah by thinking and speaking, during the time of Torah study, they too become a chariot for the divine. While the divine soul's power of speech and its thought become totally fused and perfect unity with Hashem during Torah study. But what of the speech that they utter? What is the speech that they utter? And so this actual words of speech that they utter during Torah study becomes like an organ to, of the body to the soul. It's not the perfect fusion. The perfect fusion is specifically with the power of speech, with the thought, and with the soul itself, the divine soul itself. 
There's a perfect fusion. Do we have enough copies down there? Perfect fusion that happened with Hashem and the soul and its garments. Now, we said like this. When a person performs a mitzvah, the mitzvah itself, when they perform the mitzvah, they are fulfilling the divine will. But the mitzvah itself, when they act out the mitzvah, is simply the fulfillment of the will. While Torah is the actual will of Hashem. It's hard to differentiate. And so the example that they, we gave, and actually they, say, they write it out over here, so I'm just going to read it. We're after the three dots. The difference between the two levels of unity with Hashem, achieved through Torah and mitzvahs respectively, may be clarified by the following analogy. A king orders his servants to build a palace for him and draws up a detailed blueprint for it. When they carry out his wishes, they are united with his desire as expressed in the palace. However, the palace walls themselves do not represent the king's will and wisdom, but the blueprint does, and the architects who study it are actually involved in the study of the king's will and wisdom. So too in our case, the actual performance of the mitzvot, although dictated by God's will, does not actually constitute this will. <coughs> Not so the wisdom of the Torah, which is itself Hashem's wisdom, and the halachic rulings are actually expressions of His will. And thus, when one thinks or speaks words of Torah, he attains the greatest possible level of union with Hashem, which is who is one with His will and wisdom. When we think Hashem's Torah, we are thinking His thought. That's Hashem's very desire. When we do a mitzvah, we are performing His will. When we are studying Torah, we are His will. His will is flowing through us, and we're going to give that a greater treatment right over here. This is what is meant by the statement that the Torah and Hashem are absolutely one. They are not merely organs of the king as are the mitzvot. For as we explained above, the unity of the mitzvot with God is like that of body and soul, where two separate entities are joined, whereas Torah is entirely one with God. Now, since the divine will, which is in perfect unity with Hashem himself, stands completely revealed in the divine soul and its inner garments, meaning its thought and its speech, while a person occupies himself with the words of Torah, and there is nothing obscuring the divine will at that time, for when one studies Torah, the divine will and wisdom contained in it come into full expression in one's soul and its faculties of thought and speech. It follows then that at that time, the soul and these garments of thought and speech are also truly united with Hashem, with a unity comparable to that of God's speech and thought with His essence as explained above. When a person studies Torah, their divine soul, their thought, and their power of speech are united with Hashem as are His speech and thought united with His own self. Is that unbelievable? It's absolutely, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling, right? So let's, let's recap what we said, because it's hard to understand this. Because you can say, one second, we understand, what did we say? We said that the halacha, the will of Hashem, is 
Hashem himself. It's the very will of Hashem. We already brought up the words of Maimonides, the idea from Maimonides, right? Last class. Where we have to understand that when a person studies something, there's, there's a difference. There, there's the person who knows and the knowledge they are studying. They're two separate things. However, the Rambam points out to us that the way Hashem knows is different than the way we know. Because who hamada, who hayodea, who hayadua. He is the knowledge, he is the knower, he is that which is known. There's no composite entities. The knowledge, the, the, the wisdom is him. With us, there's us and what we come to learn. With Hashem, the wisdom is him himself. So when we say that Torah is chachmasa shel hakadosh baruch it's Hashem's wisdom, it means that is Hashem. Okay? So now let's go back and review what we learned in order to understand this idea. We said in chapter 21 that there is no other existence besides for Hashem. We, we spent a few chapters to get that idea very well. There is no reality besides for Hashem. Hashem is the only reality that there is. We said that all of creation is but a word of Hashem. We took a word and we compared it to our own experience and we realized that a word is nothing. And although a word becomes something when it leaves the speaker, Hashem's word never left him. And so this word is completely subsumed within him and there's no space devoid of Hashem. So the truth of things is there absolutely is nothing besides Hashem. Over and done. However, then we came to realize that there's something called symptom and Hester Panin. Hashem created this re, uh, condition in creation of the world where he chose to hide himself and create these contractions so much so that there can be an existence that actually thinks that they're apart from Hashem. They have this crazy condition where they think there's Hashem and then there's me. What do you mean? There's no such thing like that. Are you crazy? There's nothing else besides Hashem. But nevertheless, Hashem allowed for this condition through Tzimtzum and Hester Panim. Now, in the beginning of chapter 23, we said that a mitzvah is an expression of Hashem's will. When a person performs a mitzvah, they go to the pre-Tzimtzum space. Hashem created Tzimtzum. He created contractions. But we have this special place where we can kind of run away. Pre-Tzimtzum, before he hid himself. And that is the mitzvah. When a person performs a mitzvah, they, suddenly this act of mitzvah causes Hashem's will to traverse all of the universes and give expression to his will within this world. In the act of the mitzvah, there is no hiding of the countenance anymore. Hashem's will is being openly expressed. What is a mitzvah? It is nothing other than expressing Hashem's will. Nevertheless, there is still a difference between mitzvah performance and Torah study. Because in mitzvah performance, there is still something of the commanded. There is Hashem. And then he said, in order for there to be a mitzvah, there has to be something that, as it were, so to speak, is outside of him. That's who he's commanding. He says, I am Hashem, and I command you to do such and such. So although a mitzvah is an expression of Hashem's will, there still is a certain element of the concealment of his countenance during a mitzvah performance. However... When it comes to Torah study, there's no concealment of the countenance at all. Torah exists before the world. Torah kadma la'olam. It's preceded the world. There does not need to be a world for Torah to be. The Torah is Hashem's wisdom. It is Hashem himself. So knowing this, now we can understand, because you can say, I understand that the Torah is one with Hashem. So the halacha that is in my brain, the Torah that I study that is in my brain, that is one with Hashem. But what about my thought? Why would my thought be one with Hashem? 
Why is my thought one with Hashem? There's my thought that's thinking Hashem's will. But what makes it that my very thought becomes one with Hashem's will? And that's what we're coming to understand over here. Because at this point, there's no hiding of the countenance. When there's no hiding of the countenance, it's an expression of, my thought is Hashem. We've come back to that space. When there's no hiding of the countenance, when there's, it's not because my thought is processing Hashem's will that my thought becomes one with Hashem. It's because when it's processing Hashem's will, we've come to the space where there's no concealment of the countenance. We're pre-symptom. And pre-symptom means that now my mind and my divine soul, my divine soul and its, and its garments of thought and speech are totally fused with the divine. And when I think and speak words of Torah, it's like Hashem's speech. It's, how, it's, it's the union of Hashem's speech with His very self. This is what's going on when we study Torah. Can you repeat that? <laughs> yes. I'm going to read these words again of the Alter Rebbe in English. It follows then that at that time, the soul and these garments of thought and speech are also truly united with God, with a unity comparable to that of God's speech and thought with his essence and being, as explained above. And this is the line we didn't read, and this is the clincher. For nothing is separate from God, except insofar as his countenance is concealed. But in this experience of Torah study, his countenance is not concealed. It's a total revelation of his countenance. This is Hashem. Torah is Hashem. So we go, we go behind the scenes. Yeah. We enter that world. Yeah. That's it. We, we enter Hashem in his, and the thought is going to develop. Just, just you wait. <laughs> Only then can created beings perceive themselves as distinct entities, as explained in chapter 22, since there is no such concealment when one studies the Torah. One thereby attains a perfect unity with God, a unity comparable to that of God's speech and thought with himself prior to their revelation as speech and thought, but as they are contained within himself. Really incredible. Velayite, not only that, furthermore, Ella She Yichudem who be yes or CAs, the yes or eyes, me Yichud orange, save Baruchu, but Ilamis El Yain. Moreover, their unity, meaning the unity of the divine soul and its faculties with Hashem that is attained through study, Torah study, is even more exalted and more powerful than the unity of God's infinite light with the upper spiritual worlds. The unity that we achieve through Torah study is more powerful than the unity that is happening in the higher-most worlds, higher than the world of Atzilut. Just wait one second. We'll finish. Yeah, we're going to finish this thought and then we'll discuss it better. Me'achar she'ratzayin ha'elyayin hu le'begiloi mamish for the divine will is actually manifest in the soul and its garments that are engaged in Torah study since it is identical with the Torah being studied. The Torah is Hashem's will and when a person studies Torah, the divine will is utterly manifest. Now there's the four, the four spiritual worlds. There's Atzilut, Briah, Yetzira, and even the spiritual world of Asiya. There are these four worlds. The world of Atzilus, the highest of all these worlds, is so utterly fused with the divine 
that everything about it is fused with the divine. But what is it fused with the divine? It's diffused with the divine light. A contracted level of Hashem's light that comes from, issues forth from his will. That issues forth from his will. The highest world of Atsilas is unified with this contracted level of divine light that issues forth from his will. What is his will? His will is the Torah. It's a contracted level of light that's drawn from the Torah. That's what is the unity happening in the highermost worlds. The highermost worlds unite not with the will itself, but with a level of light that comes from the will. When we study Torah, we unite with the will itself. This happens only right here, right now, in our world, with our neshama and Hashem. So based on how much we learn and move forward in that um, world of Atsilut, then we can go higher up in the Sephirot. Based on how much we learn and do now, we create the pathways for what we can experience when there's going to be nothing else to, to hide the light. Right now, we don't feel it, and we're going to discuss this. The is going to say, how is this possible that this is happening? This is unbelievable. So wait, let's, let's finish the thought. Let's finish the thought. All the worlds receive their vitality by way of the light and light, light and life derived from the Torah, which is God's will and wisdom. As it is written, through wisdom you have made them all. God's wisdom is thus the source and vitality for the world. So it's written in Tehillim, Marav Masach Hashem, Kulam Bechachma Asisa, you have made them all with wisdom. A simple translation of the verse means, you know, I'm so in awe of you, Hashem. Wow, how great are your wonders, God. You have made them all with wisdom, with such understanding. The way you made the world is with such wisdom. That's the simple meaning. But Kabbalah teaches us that this means that you have actually made the worlds with wisdom. They have all come from this level of wisdom. Wisdom surpasses them and they come from the wisdom. All the light and the life force from all the worlds are drawn from Chachma, which is the Torah. They are coming from the Chachma. The Im came, but they... Well, we're, right, we're not, instead of saying this, not Chachma in terms of the Sephiras, Chachma as far as Chachma being the wisdom of Hashem, which is the Torah. All the worlds come from the Torah. Thus it follows that God's wisdom, meaning the Torah, transcends them all. Torah transcends all of the universes. The most spiritual of the universes are transcended by the Torah. It must be above all the worlds since it is their source. In fact, the Torah, God's will, is described as encompassing all the worlds, meaning that it is at a level that cannot be enclosed within the worlds, but rather animates and illuminates them as if from a distance from above in a transcending and encompassing manner. really want to finish the thought, but I can't because we first have to... And No, I'm not talking about time-wise. I'm talking about instead of finishing the sentence, I want to first describe what's going on over here. There's two levels of life force that are drawn to the worlds. 
One is called Bechinas Makif, and one is Bechinas Panimi, or, or Makif or, or Panimi. Makif is the encompassing life force. This encompassing life force is of utterly infinite nature so that it cannot have a relationship, intimate relationship with the thing that it is. Exactly. Seifif and Mamala, that's right. A plus plus. Here she goes again. She said, Seifif Ka'aman and Mamali Ka'aman. There's two levels of Hashem's light. There's Hashem's light that Seifif Ka'aman, it encompasses all of the worlds. And that is actually Hashem's light that comes from His will that brings it, creates existence, something from nothing. This is what brings everything from non-being into being. It is completely infinite and it does not invest itself within them. Now what does it mean invest itself within them? Of course it invests itself within them, otherwise they wouldn't exist. But what it means is they cannot sense it. It is so beyond them that there is no relationship that they cannot sense it. Then there's the light that pervades all the worlds, fills all the worlds. That's the Malika Almond. That's the one that has a relationship with the thing and gives it its energy and vitality and it fuses with it so that they become one. Much the same way that a soul fuses with the body to express, so that the soul expresses the body. There's a difference between a body that's alive and a body that has not yet become alive. You see the difference. The body that's alive expresses the energy within it. And that's Mamali Ka'amin, that's the, the light of Hashem that vests itself within the worlds and created beings in order to give them life. But then there's the other light, and that's the encompassing light. It cannot become invested in the world. If they would, in the upper worlds, there's something very different. In this world, this is the only world where there's this kind of schism, where, where there could be a revelation, and yet you don't feel the revelation. In the upper worlds, whatever revelation there is, is sensed. There's no blinders, there's no lead aprons, there's no work goggles. Whatever is revealed in the upper worlds is sensed. So if this, or makif, if this mamali ka'amen, this light that surrounds all the worlds, if it would become invested, revealed to them, that they could sense it in the higher worlds, they would just expire out of existence. They could not bear this kind of revelation. Now, what is sohif ka'amen? What is this light that, that surrounds all the worlds? It's Hashem's wisdom and His will. It's the Torah. That is this light that is so, brings everything in, into being from non-being, it's what gives them their life and yet remains aloof from them so that they cannot sense it. Because if they were to sense it, they would expire out of existence. And it is this level which transcends all the worlds that is clothed in a truly revealed form in one soul and his garments when he studies Torah. So we were saying that the experience that happens during Torah study transcends anything that happens in any other world. All the other worlds, they receive, they receive even the ones that are totally united with the divine, the highest world, the world of Atsilas, has a fusion and is totally permeated with a light that is drawn from the Torah. This light, the, the Torah itself, the divine will, is called the encompassing will. And it cannot become enclosed within the worlds or they would not be able to handle it. They would expire. And it is this very light that we call the transcendental light, the encompassing light, that becomes vested within the soul when we study Torah. Now you can ask, how is this possible? If all the world cannot handle it and the angels cannot handle it, how are we able to handle this kind of light? 
So this is what the altar goes on to say. Although he does not see it, meaning when one studies Torah, he is unable to consciously experience the unity of his soul with Hashem, which is attained thereby, yet his soul feels it. In fact, this is precisely why he can endure such a unity with God, precisely because he cannot feel it. Unlike the supernal worlds where godliness is not obscured as it is in this world, and they therefore cannot endure such a unity with God without being completely nullified and losing their identities entirely. So this expression, Afogav de Ihulei Chazi, comes from the Talmud. The Talmud uh, speaks about the verse in Daniel, where Daniel is saying the vision that he had. And he said that I, Daniel, alone have seen the vision, and those that were with me did not see the vision. And even though they didn't see what I saw, they were overtaken by trembling, and they fled so that they can hide. And the Talmud asks, if they did not see anything, then why were they afraid? Why were they hiding? And the Talmud answers, Even though they were not able to perceive it, but their soul was able to perceive it. Their mazel, their higher source was able to perceive it. So there could be an experience where a person doesn't sense it, but some, their soul senses it. And that's why I'm going to class even when I can't pay attention. Sometimes. And you are paying attention because you are our... I know my soul is getting it. It's just, being, just being with 10 Jews, by the way. Just being with 10 Jews draws the Shekhinah down. And this is what we said, we quoted last class from, from uh, Epistle 23 in Nigeria HaKodesh, that when... The, the Alter Rebbe said that he learned from his master, the Magad of Mezrich, who learned from the Baal Shem Tov, that if a Malach would be present, an angel would be present at a gathering of ten Jews, even if they are not studying Torah, just the, ten pre- the presence of ten Jews, it would expire out of existence. Mm-hmm. And the last time we studied that, uh, Cheryl asked, so what's the difference between somebody who, who, there's ten Jews anyway, so what's the difference between ten Jews studying Torah or ten Jews just being present? And the answer to that is that the Shekhinah rests above the 10 Jews who are not even studying Torah. But 10 Jews who are together and are studying Torah draw down new divine energy into this world. It's a whole nother level that happens when 10 Jews are together and they're studying Torah. So we experience, our soul experiences the Shekhinah when we're together and when we study Torah. This is what's happening. Same with davening? Something different happening with davening and the altar will speak about davening right over here. So thank you for that question. This is, this is a classic occurrence in this class. Everybody asks just what's coming up. I think this only happens with this unbelievable group, Baruch Hashem. Yeah. Yes, this is considered Torah study. Because we said in the beginning when we were talking about Torah study, we said halacha, the, to- the divine will, which is halacha. But anything that we study of Torah is Hashem's wisdom, and when we study this, when we study these secrets of the Torah, this is what's happening to us right here and right now. Now, this is an experience that can only happen in this world, because the same body that we get mad at for blocking our spiritual experience is what allows us to, to have a spiritual experience. And the Rebbe references over here the story of Bilaam's donkey. Do you remember that Bilaam's donkey was first turning from one side to the other side because Bilaam himself didn't see the angel. And Bilaam was getting mad at the donkey and he was beating the donkey. And then finally, um, the Malach revealed himself and, and said, well, why did you hit the donkey three times? And um, Rashi over there says that Hashem has given the power to beasts to see more than human beings because human beings are intelligent beings. 
And if human beings would see demons, God forbid, they would lose their mind. They'd go insane. An animal doesn't have that higher level of intelligence, so it sees these things. And it doesn't affect them. So the same thing, an angel, if they would see what we experience, because of the angel's greatness, it would expire out of existence. But because we're in a, a physical human body that blocks our vision of the experience, we are able to have this kind of experience that is not available in any other world. The, isn't it incredible? <laughs> the uh, parable given for this is um, an artisan that was hired to create the king's crown. And he created the craft of the king's crown, and it was time for him to put the crown jewel into the crown. And yet, because he understood who the king is and what this crown means and what a crown jewel means, he was so tremulous that he could not place the stone in the crown. Finally, he called a peasant who knew nothing about the king, he knew nothing about royalty, and he said, can you do me a favor? You see this stone? Could you put it right here? And he's like, yeah, sure. And he picks up the stone and he sticks it in the crown. He was able to do it because he had no concept of what was going on. Because we're in a physical body that obscures the experience that we're having when we study Torah, we could handle it. Yeah, we, we are right now, when we study Torah, we are uniting with Hashem in the most ultimate sense. We are uniting with His very will and wisdom the place where everything else is drawn from. Even the world of Atsilas cannot unite with this level of Hashem. And w why are we able to handle it? We're able to handle it because we're in this physical body. Now, that's the point. Hashem chose the Jewish soul, and therefore He made this experience available to it. But it's only available because of these work goggles, or maybe they're not just goggles, they're blinders that we wear, that when we are experiencing this in this world, we don't, even, we don't even sense it or perceive it. Uvazeh yuvan, lama gadla mailas ha'esek batari yaisim rikol ha'mitzvahis, va'afilu mitfila shehi yichot ailamais al yainim. This discussion explains, this discussion of the exalted unity with God attained through Torah study, which is even greater than that is a than that is accomplished by performance of mitzvahs, explains why Torah study is much more loftier than all of the mitzvahs, including even prayer, which affects unity within the supernal worlds. So it says in the Mishnah that um, Talmud Torah keneged kulam, that the study of Torah is equivalent to them all. Take all the mitzvahs, and Torah study surpasses all the mitzvahs. Now we understand why Torah study surpasses all the mitzvahs. Because the union that happens when a person studies Torah is much greater than the union that happens now doing mitzvahs. Now, a word of caution over here. Of course we have to perform mitzvahs. The Talmud says that somebody who learns in or, not in order to do, it's better that his placenta turned over and he never was born. His Torah study is worth nothing if he's learning just for not wanting to do anything, just for also, the sake of learning. it's one of the things that we get the source in the Olamazeh, and not only Olamazeh, Limut Torah. Talmud Torah, you're saying, you're, you're, you're doing the, the El Devarim yeah. from Peah, right? Yeah. Have you have a bigger or a Yeah, it, these are these are both. In this, we get we reap the reward in this world right. and in the next world. Right. Talmud it's Torah. Also one of but the and it's Torah. right. But Torah Torah study includes both. It includes everything. It is equivalent to all of the mitzvahs. It says in Mishlei, it says, that, speaking about the wisdom of the Torah, and it says, all of the desires are not equivalent to them. 
And the Talmud says, Afilu even the desires of heaven, which are the mitzvahs, they do not equal the mitzvahs. And, 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 all, and all, all the mitzvahs are not even, sh- the, the, the Jerusalem Talmud says that uh, um, even a mitzvah, all the mitzvahs are not even equivalent to that one matter of halacha that you could study from the Torah is worth more than everything. So a few things here. I want to just be careful with this potent idea. First of all, there's something that is accomplished, and we'll learn this in chapter 37, through physical mitzvah performance that is not available through Torah study, and that is that it reaches much further as far as rectifying this physical world of performance of a mitzvah. And also... A person, if, if there's a mitzvah that's available to be done and no one else can do it, a person needs to interrupt their study in order to perform the mitzvah. If not, then their Torah study is worthless. The bottom line is that a person who studies and they not have the intention to perform mitzvahs, their Torah study is worthless. So having that in mind, still, Torah study is so powerful. The unity that happens through Torah study is much greater than a unity that happens in any other world. All of, it says, Kulam b'chachma asisa, you have made them all with wisdom. All of them are drawn from the Torah. But when we study Torah, we unite with this level of light that gives life to all the world in a way that it cannot enclose itself within the world. If this light would enclose itself within the world, they would expire out of existence. And yet, this light that all the world cannot bear, even the highest of all the worlds, enclose itself in our divine soul and in its garments of thought and speech when we study Torah. It is so great that it is even greater than prayer, and we're going to visit that next week so that we don't lose the thought. Uh, Let's just summarize what we said until now, and then we're going to open for questions. So we started the chapter by saying how uh, mitzvah performance gives expression to the divine will like a body to the soul. And then we moved further along and we said that the unity that happens during Torah study is much greater even than that of mitzvah performance. Because while a person performing a mitzvah, their spiritual powers become like a garment, like a body to the soul, and their body becomes like a chariot to the divine will. When a person studies Torah, when they think and they speak words of Torah, their power of thought and their power of speech, or their thought and their power of speech, becomes united with Hashem, just like his own thought and speech become united with him. At that point, his, his will is stands completely revealed so that there is no concealment of the countenance. At that point, we go pre he even spoke the word. Before he even spoke the word, before the word was uttered, where there is no concealment of the countenance, that is what's happening when we study Torah. And you think, this is really crazy. This unity is happening at such a great degree when we study Torah. How is that possible? And the reason why it's possible is because we do not see what's happening when we study Torah. Our physical body hides the experience from us. Nevertheless, we do have an experience of it, and it affects us. But we cannot feel the depth of the experience. When a person studies Torah, and they achieve this unity with the divine, they receive divine assistance in their spiritual work. So we, feel, we, we, have, we reap the benefits, but we don't feel the experience. So this world is much, much greater as far as what's actually happening, while in the other worlds, the greatness of the other worlds is that they can experience 
what's happening. We can't actually feel the experience, but what was happening right here, right now, is much greater than what can happen in any other world. And we have to remember that. So we're so lucky that we get to have the joy of this experience of studying Torah and doing mitzvahs. It's right here, right now. Zehu, that's it. <laughs> Are you still experiencing it even if you don't understand what you're reading? So yes, when it comes to, because remember last class we ended off with saying the, the combinations of the letters of Tanakh. Mm-hmm. When a person reads words of Tehillim, let's say, from the Tanakh, or they read words from the Chumash, from the Navi, when they're reading the words, even if they don't understand, but they are expressing these words are Hashem's will and wisdom. They are Hashem. So yes, that experience is happening when they read words of Tehillim, or when they read words from the Parsha. As long as it's, those are the words from the, these co- letter combinations of Tanakh, they are the expression of Hashem's will. And even if you don't understand them, your soul is experiencing them at that time. Two at once. <laughs> just, I mean, it's just related to that, just quickly. That it, it, um, so it, because I, I heard that you didn't need to really understand the Hebrew to be able to make that connection, so it makes sense That's right. what you're saying. Right? Yeah, you don't even have to understand the Hebrew. If you're reading the actual words of Tanakh, you are having that experience. It says it has to be Tanakh. Can it be the prophets? Can it be? So Tanakh is the prophets. Tanakh is Torah, right. Nevi'im, and Kesuvim. No, so learning? let's say you're learning Talmud. If you're reading Talmud or you're reading Shulchan Aruch and you don't understand what you're reading, then that's not Torah study. You have, that's, and that you have to understand. This is stuff you have to understand. If you're reading Jewish law, whatever, if you're reading from the oral Torah, but you, yeah, if you're reading from the oral Torah, you don't understand what you're reading, that's not Torah study. And that point of Torah study means you have to understand what you're learning. But when it comes to Tanakh, Tehillim being part of Tanakh, because it's from Kesuvim, so it means the five Chumashim, the Nevi'im, and the right, the the Kisuvim, that's Mishle and and Tehillim. You're reading those words, Kohalat, when you're Shir Hashirim, right? The Chamish Megillas, any of those stuff that you're reading. When you're reading them, even if you don't understand them, you are still achieving this unity but with the divine. This, this is not the essence of Torah in terms of the actual words of Torah. So this is not Tanakh, and that's why yes. when we're learning this, we have to understand what we're learning. If you can't just read it, and you have to make an effort to understand at some level. Even if we don't understand the depth of it, whatever we do understand is Hashem's wisdom, and that we're having that experience. Is there something different for men and women in terms of learning? Because obviously the men are kind of commanded to learn Gomorrah, and right. women aren't. So right. I'm wondering if there's some kind of, that our bodies or our souls can take in certain things as a woman and as a man are different. So the difference between men and women is as far as their obligation goes, as you said. For a man, they have a constant obligation to study Torah. So they, Doesn't matter what. They, yeah, they all, you're saying, well, the Talmud gives advice. Shlish b'mikra, shlish b'mikra, shlish b'talmud. How, it says how to divide up the time in Torah study. A third of the time you spend in, in Tanakh, a third of the time you spend in Mishnah, and a third of the time you spend in Talmud. That's how they're divided divide their time in, in, in Torah study. But um, for women, we have an obligation in Torah study as far as we have to know how to act. We ha- in order to keep halacha properly, we have to know halacha. So, yeah, so we ha- 
if if a man were to know how much as a woman is obligated to know, they'd be considered a great Torah scholar because a woman is obligated to be proficient pretty much in the code of Jewish law. And then um, as far as as far as Tanakh goes, a woman is not obligated in studying Tanakh. But um, nowadays, when women are studying everything, they should be studying Tanakh. Because, you know, in the olden days, you could say, okay, woman, you don't have to study. You just, I'll, I'll teach you how you follow me. You're an apprentice in the kitchen. This is how you kosher a chicken. And this is how we keep Shabbos. Nowadays, women are studying. If they're studying, they should be studying Torah. Because our mind forms who we are. Uh, that's, that's the basis of the Tanya, right? That, that the ideas that we have then generate the emotions. If a woman says, okay, I'm not obligated to study Torah, so instead I'll study some other stuff. Well, then her worldview then becomes the other stuff. Yeah, the other stuff. So as being religious means we have to study Torah so that our worldview is in consonance with the divine will. I'm sorry, you had a question? So, <clears throat> learning or studying Tanakh, even though we are not understanding the combination of these letters, right. will make our thought um, and uh, our thought united with the thought of Hashem prior to the scene. That's right. Just reading the words of Tanakh whether you're man or woman, we're Jewish, and we have a divine soul. And the experience of the Shekhinah resting on 10 Jewish people is on any 10 Jewish people. It's specifically for a minion that 10 men are needed. But anytime there are 10 Jewish people together, the Shekhinah rests. A Jewish person, man, woman, child, each of us have a divine soul. And that's this experience of uniting with the divine happens when any Jewish person reads the words of Tanakh. When we read the words of Tanakh, even if we don't understand what we're saying, our divine soul is uniting with Hashem in perfect unity as his thought and speech are united with his very essence. I'm a little afraid to ask this question, but yeah. is, is the Torah the entirety of Hashem? So actually, the question that you asked, she says, is the Torah the entirety of Hashem? So Steinsalz actually expresses that thought, and he says like this. Whatever we comprehend, although... Okay, he says it so profoundly. He says... No, he has it in such a great thought. He says, although it's not the entire... One second. I probably have it written down. I don't, okay, I'll get it for you. But basically, it's not the entirety of Hashem. But whatever we, whatever we get is, is a part of His essence, and whatever we get of it, we get the full experience. So I'm not expressing the thought well, and so I will... That's a great question, and Stainzals expresses it so poetically, and I feel terrible that it's eluding me right now, because I, I actually repeated that sentence out loud to myself a few times, because it was so profound. I have it written in my notes. So it's not, the, it's not the whole experience, but the Torah is Hashem's wisdom, and because it's Hashem's wisdom, it is Hashem Himself. And so you're saying, is Torah the entirety of Hashem? No, it's not the entirety of Hashem, it's His wisdom. But nevertheless, it is Hashem. And so whenever we unite with His wisdom, we are uniting with Him. There has to be more to him. Yes, there's, there's, there's more to him <laughs> that we, don't have, <laughs> that we, we have, don't have access to.
even even saying the the chokhmah of Hashem, yeah. we are limiting. Here. That's right. We are we are saying this is Hashem's wisdom. We are not saying, but still, Hashem's wisdom is one with Him. And so, yes. Now, the thing is that when it comes to essence, there's no division of the essence. There's there's an expression in Hasidus that says. The essence, when you grasp a piece of it, you grasp all of it, because essence is indivisible. So although we are, not, we are just grasping a piece of the essence, but there's no such thing as a piece of the essence. And so thus we grasp the entirety of it. But um, I, I want to develop the thought more, Blinader, for next week, so that we, because it's very, very profound. Thank you for that question. When? You're saying by giving it a form, he's limiting it. By putting it into a vessel of a letter, let's say, he's putting it into a limited form. Is that what you're saying? Right. Right. And even though that's the unbelievableness of Torah, that although it's taken a form and it seems to be limited, it actually is not limited. It's, 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 it's too much to understand. It's just beyond, it's just beyond what we can understand. But I hope next week to really uh, explore this thought further because it's, it's unbelievable. It's mind-boggling. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah.